Hey friends, welcome back to the Big C Church podcast where we have challenging questions to better the body of Christ. I am very excited. Um, I'm always excited about my guests because I get to pick them, which is great. So I probably should stop saying I'm excited because it's just true every single time. So um, my guest today is Bronwyn Lee, and um, we are. This is part of a series on men and women in the church. And so um, Bronwyn is. Um, she's a South African born. She's a pastor of discipleship and women at her church in Northern California. Um, and uh, editor at Propel Women and also a coach in the Propel Ecclesia uh, Network. Um, and she'll talk a little bit more about that. Bronwyn and I got connected, I think, through Propel, like through some articles. Is that right, Bronwyn? That, that's what I remember. I got to interview yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. And then we just, can, of course, hit it off and have connected since then about different things. Um, uh, and so um, she also described herself, uh, besides the job titles, um, and I know this to be true, neighborly, um, sassy, and Jesus-y. So you, you may, um, those of you who, who know me or you're getting to know me through this podcast or other contexts, you can see why I immediately was drawn to her and why we connected. So Bronwyn, thank you for your time and this conversation. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Let's be neighborly and sassy together for the sake of yes. Jesus. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I invited you for a conversation pertaining to men and women in the church because last time we were um, we were zooming together, uh, we started talking about the leader, the temptations that women leaders face. Um, and, but I'll let you tell everybody how we kind of got into that and how you started thinking about that. So tell me about that with your Ecclesia Network. Sure. So uh, one of the places that I get to serve is as a coach for a woman um, in leadership in ministry contexts through Propel Ecclesia. And so small group cohorts that we meet every month and sort of just tell people take next steps on their leadership journey. And mm -hmm. we have monthly webinars where we have people speaking into culture and gifting and leadership and all sorts of different aspects of that. And at one of our webinars, we had a presenter um, speaking about leadership um, temptation organizationally and how it is that we keep ourselves upright both internally and in our demeanors with other people. And he was warning against sort of that trifecta of, of temptations that we need to be on our guard against. And he spoke about money and sex and power and how we need to guard our heart against um, being lured in all of those directions. And as I sat there listening to him, such a wise, godly man. I thought that's true. Mm. I can see how money has wreaked all sorts of temptation. Power does so much damage, um, you know, because there's a, an untouchability on when it comes to power. Mm. Andy Crouch has written so well on that. Um, mm. And I can see that there's the temptation in the sexual realm. But then I also thought, I am also not sure that those are the top three things that would take me out as a woman in ministry. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I wonder if there is a gendered nuance to the ways that we can be tempted in ministry circles or tempted in the church. Not that I'm invulnerable to power and sex and money, but there are some other things or maybe some uh, ways of exploring that that would help me be more in tune to ways that I could fall. So that got me thinking, which is why I picked your brain on it. Um, yeah. Because part of, part of wisdom, right, is growing. Um, I mean, we want to grow in strength and capacity, but part of growing in wisdom is learning the areas we're vulnerable so that we are accountable and asking for grace. And I thought I really want to work at pinpointing areas that I could be vulnerable to temptation so that I don't take down a chunk of the church um, yeah. by being blindsided by my own failings. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, we had a, a very honest conversation and I and, um, and invited Bronwyn um, to uh, not entirely replicate that, but to have this uh, with record being pushed. So really, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a, a very real and honest conversation about also about our experience as women leaders and um, um, not just with men, but just the temptations that we face internally and what are the things that would be the biggest temptations for us. So thanks again for engaging in this um, with me for other listeners this time. Um, sure. So let's start about, you know, the money, the sex, the power. Let's look at those three things first and say what each of us, what about each of those? Yes or no. You go like, eh, I can see how that could be or whatever. Like, um, let's start with money. Is money a temptation for you? 
And and if so, in what way? And I'll share too. I'm not just asking you, right? <laughs> so. Um, I think money is less of a temptation for me. And I'll be honest, because of privilege, because I have money, you know, so yeah. I'm not at the risk of running out. I am well provided for by my husband and um, sort of family assets. I'm not at the risk of becoming destitute. And so I have compassion for where, uh, you know, if you're starting to make, have, have to make hard choices about food security or housing security or, you know, like needing to provide and protect for your children, I feel that that temptation would come into play in a different way. That's not the case for me. Yeah, and um, help me understand when you were in that Ecclesia network with the, the guest who was talking about money, in which ways was that person saying that um, money is a temptation? Where is that per They've seen it. He did not unpack that a great deal, okay. um, but that was also something as I was trying to imagine it, I thought there are corners of the church where being the senior pastor comes with a bunch of perks. You know, there's yeah. like a ministry world, which is very poorly paid. <laughs> and I think yeah. if you've been in women in ministry as I have uh, completely unpaid for decades. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, ministry is not something we associate with being lucrative, but there are corners of the church where high profile speaking comes with a huge amount of, of perks and engagement. That's not the world I live in, so I don't want to poke fingers at it. Um, but I would imagine it yeah. would be a different realm um, of thinking altogether if I had people wanting to wear um, designer labels when I was speaking on stage because I had a really large platform. I, I think that yeah. that could be an area of temptation. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. When you, you said uh, money, I was like, yeah, where would that be? I like you, I would say that's not a, a temptation. I've been, I'm aware of it. I've been aware of disparities in my pay versus a call, a male colleague, or, you know, there's been times where, um, because I was a woman, I would, um, I was, I could be an intern on staff. So I was getting, you know, but I had a master's in my field, you know, kind of thing. So I, so money is an issue or has been an issue and I, and then being married to a pastor and so the pastor's family i've been aware of um the congregation being aware of our money and how we use our money but i wouldn't say it's been a temp i've never felt like that's a flame that i'm getting close to it's an issue but not a temptation i think that's right and i think when it comes to the disparity sort of issue on, you know, male, female pay, that actually runs closer to the power temptation to me than the money temptation. Yes. So yeah. Can I jump yeah. onto that one? Yeah, please. Yep. Um, yep. I mean, I think that there is a real difference between um, the power and the influence that we might wield in any given situation. And that's something mm -hmm. that I've discovered that my male coworkers are less aware of than maybe the women mm -hmm. that I meet in the church circles. Yeah. Um, I think very often for men, power and influence go together. The reason that they have a voice is because they have a seat at the table. It goes with the job title. But yeah. for women, certainly in my circles, and I come from a background where women didn't have any of the front row seats in leadership. Um, and so we didn't have any institutional power or title that went with it. But women still were a huge part of the life of the church. Um, mm -hmm. We had influence but not power. And so that distinction becomes important there. And the influence that women have that I've had historically has to do with relational capital rather than job mm -hmm. title. Mm -hmm. And so how we steward that, how we um, think about that, I think is something that women grapple with in the church. You know, if a man makes a hard line because it's his job, people will accept sometimes a hard decision because it's tough to be the person at the top. And sometimes you have to make mm -hmm. hard decisions. Mm -hmm. But for me, who doesn't have a job title, if I said something controversial, it might cost me actual relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a pressure mm -hmm. in a different kind of way. And so I think that our experience of power and influence can can have gendered um, outworkings. Yeah. Yeah. I think from reflecting on it for myself, so like you, um, I've often, I mean, not, not on a, a formal seat at the table, or if I have been at the table, it's been at the kids' table or the, you know, the, the at the holidays, you know, or or a, a lesser seat, you know. It's certainly not the, not been the head of the table, um, but at the same time, like you said, I have, and for a long time, I I mistook, I don't have influence if I don't have a seat at the table or a position, um, 
and have been um, coming to terms with reckoning, reckoning, understanding the influence side of that. Where do I have influence? Um, because um, even, you know, I've seen people, churches destroyed by the parking lot conversations by people who don't have any seat at the table. And so um, I think a temptation for me, it's not, it's about using my stewarding the influence I do have wisely in that um, I could be subversive because that's the only way I would get heard. You know, like I could, I could uh, end around um, or uh, be manipulative perhaps in ways where you're, because I'm feeling like that's the only way I can get any, you know, so, so I don't know if that would like temptation that would do me in in ministry, but certainly a unhealthy, um, a tendency, but um, opportunity for, for me, I think. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think being aware of our, um, our temptations to flex when things are not going our way, Uh, is a really, really good thing to be aware of, particularly if you wear multiple hats, you know, in your world. So you might be very high powered in government or in your community or have a lot of money, which gives you, you know, a certain kind of power, or you might have high social visibility online or some kind of platform. And when you come to the church then, and you are being part of a conversation, um, that power dynamic is how much of your sort of secular power do you flex in church contexts yeah uh, comes into play you know like how do we operate like the body of christ where there's this you know a flat surface you know the the ground at the foot of the cross is level but in the world you are very much at the top of the pyramid so how do you step down from the pyramid when you're in church circles so that you're not saying, well, I have a PhD or I am a CEO or I have right. this amount of reach and, yeah. and I will expose you, you know, or I will yeah. Like, yeah. blow the whistle on our church. So figuring out how we steward our sort of power in the world when we are with the family of God, I think is something that calls for a huge amount of introspection and maturity. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, I mean, um, I, I, I rarely feel a temptation to, a PhD flex. I even joke PH like flex spelled PH L E X, you know, that type of thing. It's more, I think I can be, it's more like unhealthy relational qualities. Um, because if the, if the influence really is that relational kind of thing, um, to be honest, I, there are situations where someone else is, um, you know, at the, at the head of the table, or maybe I don't have a seat, but I could actually subversively upend the table from underneath by rallying people off to the side and not being respectful of the the authority or the power or you know what what has been established sometimes um sometimes you know i need to um where is the line sometimes between using the authority i do have because i uh, to bring about positive change and and when is it overstepping you know, and so when is That's it, right. when is it time to speak and when is it time to not to, and am I doing that in healthy ways, in healthy places, even if it's not at the main table? I feel you so much on that conversation. I think a, a real life example for me of this um, was that I was writing in the public forum, both on my blog and some collaborative works and being published in various places for a good 10 years that I was not um in staff or serving in any formal capacity in my church. But some of the stuff that I was wrestling with was contentious. I was writing about immigration because I'm an immigrant and I have a faith-based perspective on immigration, but that's divisive in my church, right? Yeah. Um, and I was wrestling with issues about women in leadership in the church. What did that mean? What does the scripture say? What are the limits about what we can and cannot do? Um, but my church was in its own process happening at its own time. And so I, I wanted to be very, very careful not to rally um, like a slew of angry blog commentators who were yeah. <laughs> going to petition my church. Like yeah. you need to buckle down and tell women where it's at or you need to, you know, pass them the microphone. And so I drew, um, what do they call them? Like Chinese walls? The like defense, like I drew very strong walls between my public writing life and Mm. my church life. I did not publish the Mm. name of my church or where I lived 
in any way because I wanted to try and protect my church environment um, from my public writing and to try yeah. and wear those hats. It's a little bit more difficult now that I'm on staff at the church because if you look me up, you know, like I'll actually appear on the church right. website. Yeah, you can't but, take off one hat and, as easily. I mean, you're always <laughs> that's right. that. Yeah. But I still want to be aware of it. That's right. I don't want to bring down the yeah. angry the angry mobs because, again, the church is the family of God. And there's some stuff yeah. that we just need some time and space to process by ourselves. Yeah. And just like it wouldn't be appropriate if we were having a family conflict to figure out our budget for the next year or how, you know, what we believed about yeah. homeschooling or public schooling, it would be inappropriate to expose all of that to the public eye so that yeah. I could, you know, come back to my husband and say, well, a hundred people in our community think you're wrong. Like yeah. it's wrong to do that to the church. Like I think we need yeah. to protect the family of God like we would protect our own household. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think there's so many more um, outside channels we can use these days uh, for good and for bad. I think of uh, Kate Bowler's book, I think it's The Preacher's Wife. I don't know if you've read that, mm -hmm. but just how how people, you know, um, you know, we 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 do have influence and power, even sometimes not in the formal thing. Um, and so help, like, let's think through some of those like social media, you know, like passive aggressive comments on social media or or, you know, blogs or actual public platforms or books, that kind of thing. Certainly, um, even the non-public stuff, just the hallway conversations or over coffee or um, even pillow talk with my spouse. I mean, I could influence him, you know, and being aware of the ways. What are some other, are there's others you can think of uh, that we have that I, influence? And, and a temptation to misuse power, but it's not in the, the power from the top down necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think our relational networks and guarding our tongue covers a huge number of things. Yeah, we talk in yeah. all sorts of spaces. And so figuring out how we can honor people, honor our churches um, in every sphere that we're at, particularly yeah. now that life is all that more public and documentable. Um, yeah, that calls for maturity. Yeah, I think guarding our tongues in writing and speech, I think also appropriate use of emotion comes to mind. So um, I, I think there's sometimes there's, there's, there, there could be um, one end would be um, emotions are bad. Women, sh women in particular are too emotional. They shouldn't show emotion. And the other is that we could use emotions to manipulate. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think the word that I'm trying to get, I want to avoid in my own life is manipulation. Yes. Yeah, I think that that's, that that's fair. But, you know, like that reminds me of sort of my Calvinist roots, the idea that there's, you know, total depravity doesn't yeah. mean that we're all as bad as we possibly can. No, be right. Degree, but it yeah. does mean that every part of us, the totality of us is all tainted by sin. And I think yeah. <clears throat> so theologically, like that's an important thing to take on board because it needs to breed an awareness that, oh, my emotions could be manipulative, but also my brain is manipulative. I am very yeah. capable of spinning data, you know, selecting right. facts to tell a story, to have it end sure. in the way that I want to do. Yeah. Uh, I, my appetites are tainted by yeah. sin. My habits can be infused yeah. with sinful patterns. So being aware of, you know, Emotions get a bad rep as being like the most sinfully true. Uh, what's the word? Yeah, <laughs> like the most yeah, likely to yeah. be swayed by sin. But that's not yeah. necessarily true. Like total depravity yeah. teaches us that all of us is vulnerable and all of yeah. us, our emotions, our mind, our will, our reason, our choices, all of that needs um, the redemptive yeah. work of the spirit. Yeah. And one of the things I think... Um, uh, my takeaway, and I, you know, listeners to to hear as well, is that even though um, power may look differently for us uh, sometimes as women leaders, um, or for every leader really, we we have it in a variety of forms, and and um, I think all overall just being aware of all those things, the the temptations, the the things that are tainted by sin. How are we stewarding the 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 influence, the power, the um, the our uh, and and um, bringing our our minds and our tongues and our all the things. I mean, it's just a mm -hmm. it's a holistic thing. It's not just limited to power defined by seat at the table. That's right. Yeah, and 
um, our, our emotions in our bodies. Right? Yes, so all of it. Yeah, if, for sure. If we, if we move to our third area of temptation, sort of the, yes. okay, we've talked about money, yeah. we've talked about power. How do we experience the temptation towards sex? Um, yeah. And this was the one where when you and I talked, I thought this yeah. needs a little teasing out for me. For sure. Right. So here um, we go. Let's because, do it. Right. In as much as I understand sort of sexual attraction being undergirded by our desire to be intimately connected to people around us, to the men mm -hmm. and women around us. We long for chemistry. We long for connection. We long for close relationship where we're really seen, which may or may not involve actual bodily sexual connection. It actually has a mm -hmm. lot to do with human connection, which in, mm -hmm. you know, ideally in marriage is expressed in, in actual sex. But um, the attraction person to person, I think, is an area that we experience maybe a little differently to how we think of, oh, sexual temptation is the temptation to have an affair. Yeah. Um, I think that there are two ways that that relational attraction is dangerous to me, possibly other women. So I'll share this. One of them is that I think that women are vulnerable to relational betrayal in mm. a way that can take them out in ministry. Define um, relational betrayal. Tell me more about sure. that. Um, I think particularly if you come from a world where your life in ministry relies on relational capital, not because you have a job in an institution that are not a formal network of LinkedIn type relationships, but have to do with friendships and partnerships and a shared history that you've had with people over the years, you build a level of relational trust that your ministry lands up being platformed on, whether it's mm -hmm. formal or informal. You know, mm -hmm. you have the right to teach Bible study because there's 20 people in your church who trust you to teach the Bible, whether yeah. or not that's on a website or a bulletin or not. So if one of those relationships turns such that that person shames you, shuns you, shouts out against you in the public sphere, mm -hmm. you have lost, um, it, it, it kicks the ground out from under you. You've yeah. lost the basis on which you felt you were authorized yeah. to do ministry. We felt authorized and commissioned because of people's trust. And then if someone doesn't trust us, if they have a change mm -hmm. of mind, if they call us out, that is super, super destabilizing. And as yeah. we talked with women in ministry, as we're training leadership cohorts, you know, if your best friend, the person that you started your ministry with, that you used to co-teach and share a platform with, uh, comes out against you or comes after you, or even by silence, doesn't back you up, in a moment of conflict, yes. it's always going to be a time of trying. That alienation, even if it's not an accusation, that abandonment and alienation by a person that you needed to be there to stand behind you, um, I think is the kind of thing that can take us out. Keep going. How is it? How does okay. it take us out? Because I'm thinking through all sorts of examples that I, I mean, a situation in my own life and my, you know, decades of ministry where. Yeah, that relational betrayal. So how would that take me out? How would that take you out? Well, it sounds like you have a story to share. Um, well, I'll... oh no. <laughs> that would be a whole series. I mean, I think we both do, right? But I mean, yeah. But I'm, I'm just curious how that would, how, uh, what do you mean by take out? Tell me more about that. Um, I think that it would take me out isn't that I just wouldn't want to do it anymore. It would be too hard. Yeah. If I that, think about okay. things that would make me want to quit, that yeah. just throw in and say, I don't, I don't want to put myself out for the sake of the kingdom any, anymore. This is too hard. Yeah. It would be the feeling that the people closest to me don't have my back anymore. Ministry yeah. can oh, be absolutely. lonely enough already, you know? Yeah. And if my ministry bestie or my mentor or the person that I spent 10 years discipling came out and threw a finger at me, walked away, I would be left feeling, well, what's the point? Yeah. Because so yeah. often we, are, we fuel our continued ministry by celebrating the little bits of fruit along the way. We know that we're not going to see all the fruit, that that belongs to eternity. But when one person is saved, when we see one person flourish, when we see discipleship continue from another generation, these things give us joy. We say, look, God, I see evidence of, you know, this happening and that happening and that happening. And I got to be a part of it. And it keeps me going. But when one of those things turns, or one of those relationships or people turns bad or corrupting or super painful, 
then the will to continue, I think, is uh, is really compromised. I think that's what um, you know Christine Kane wrote about in How Did I Get Here? Like you want to ring the bell, like uh, like someone yeah. in the the Navy SEALs. You are now pushed beyond your emotional breaking point, and it's just too hard. You need your people, yeah. and if one of your people turns against you, um, that would be the thing that would make me say, "Okay, I'm walking away." I wasn't in it yeah. for the power. I wasn't in it for the money, but I was in it because I saw that I could make a difference in people's relationship with God and with one another. And so when one of those things turns, that feels super vulnerable to me. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's helpful to understand. Yeah. You, I mean, I've had those situations and I'll, I'll share some of them here in a moment where I, that betrayal or that blind side, I think, you know, those are just like, wow, where did, where did this come from? And um, you framing it in terms of that, that it's um, relationship, why it's so much bigger for me or for us, because the relationship is the foundation of the influence. So I can't just go, yeah, well, but I still got my seat on, you know, at the chair, you know, at the head of the bus. So, so fine, you know, I don't need you kind of thing. Not that that's a healthy thing either. Um, but so we were at a, a, you know, church many years ago where, um, it was just a really, really unhealthy situation. Um, we didn't realize on how unhealthy it was when we got in. We asked all the right questions that we knew to ask, and still, you know, there's only so many things that you know you get exposed when you're you're in it. And then, um, and then we're in that environment, and people all wanted to be in the the pastor's small group. And so I was like, wow, this is great. They only got, and then things people started becoming unhappy with some things in the church, and so they. They left the church, they left the small group, they left the relationship. And and others didn't stand up. It was a combination of all the things you mentioned. Some people just left, you know, and so I realized, oh, so I was just utilitarian for some of you. You know, I fulfilled the, I was a role and not, you didn't really view me as a friend. So that was, you know, so, so, and, and I mean, that whole season, and it was a season of, of several years, um, um, and I remember being on the phone with someone and asking them uh, a question about something, just about like, are you going to be going to this thing or can you go on this retreat? It was like a leadership person, uh, person. And they just, they were wounded and their stuff, they just put it out and put it on me. And I had so much built up at that point. It, it's, it was the straw that broke the camel's back and threw me into clinical depression. I had this anxiety that had been ramping up. I use the example of like when you kind of twist a straw and then you pop it, you know, kind of thing and it, and it breaks and, and that's where I was at. And so it did take me out. I never framed it in the term that you just said, but um, for, I could barely get out of bed for months. You know, it put me in therapy three times a week for, for weeks and weeks, you know, uh, our, our marriage was struggling. It just, I didn't understand the dynamics. I didn't know where those people went. I felt completely, you know, abandoned, betrayed, all the, all those words, you know, um, blindsided, betrayed, shame, shunned, all the things, right? No, no good feelings in that. And it did. And, and, and so it literally did take me out. And when I started to recover from that, then I'm, you know, then it's like, how do I not be bitter, jaded? Can I trust again? How do I know? Because I, you know, it, it, it caused me to question my, my gut, my judgment, you know, my ability to, to lead, to do relate. So, so is that too, is just the self doubt in the whole thing, uh, uh, in addition to the, the, the external hurt of um, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a real, real and common experience, right? Yeah. That, that pain of thinking, I thought we were friends. I thought we were family in Christ, but I'm yeah. a functionary or a foe now to you. It's, yes. It's so disorienting. But then yeah. I guess it begs the question, once you've experienced that, or even if we're trying to help one, like how do we handle ourselves so that, that is, we're less vulnerable to being taken up by that? Yeah. Is it that we just yeah. trust less? What kind of work right. can we do to – sure. Uh, orient ourselves so that we're basically not dependent on the approval of man, like to, yeah. to shore ourselves up because that's, that's a 
there's always an idolatrous temptation in this. And it's not just that people hurt us. It's also that maybe our affection and our trust was misplaced. So what's the internal yeah. work that I need to do that you need to do yeah. um, so that our, our hope is built on nothing less, right? Than yeah. Jesus and but, his righteousness. But yet still engage in rich and deep relationships because, um, you know, because you could, well, um, how do we not put our hope in other people or build that on the wrong foundation? But the the other side of that, I think, is to say, well, I don't need anybody or I'm always going to be in leader mode and I'm not going to get close to anybody. And that's not good either. That's uh, also you bad know, leadership. So, yeah. yeah, right. So so <laughs> um, that's bad leadership. And that's not God's design for relation. I mean, not it, being in deep relationship without being dependent on those, I think is what we're, you know, going for. And so, um, yeah, the answer is not just to not, not trust, but I, and so for me, I realized after a lot of, you know, reflection and, and therapy, like we, I had put too many eggs in the, in that, in that basket. Like I put all my eggs in that basket. I expected people, um, I, first I wasn't aware of the, the dynamics. I didn't know to be aware, um, I, I, I trusted everyone. Um, I didn't account for what their own junk was or my own <laughs> and how they would interact with each other. Um, I expected patients to become physicians or to be equal physicians, you know, in some ways. And, and I was doing too much with that group. And so I realized for me, I needed a network of friends who didn't weren't functionaries or foe. There wasn't even the, the need for function, functionary or foe. That language wasn't part of the relationship, you know? Yeah, I think that's so good. We do need a, we need to go broader and we need to go deeper. Yeah. Broaden, a broader yeah. network and, and work on the deeper foundations. I, yeah. um, I mean, the need for continual spiritual growth for every Christian is, is, possibly the biggest burden that I carry as a pastor mm. that it's not like growth is something you just do for the first 12 months is like a, <laughs> a supercharged yeah, preparation you yeah. come yeah. to faith like we are in need of continuing uh, spiritual formation all the days of our life yeah. um, we needed to stay married we needed to stay in our jobs and we needed to to just stay driving you know in a straight line that yeah. like in, spiritual entropy is real. Like <laughs> the yes. desire that we yeah. have to just like veer off the road or to, to erode or decay things standing by themselves atrophy over time. And the same is true of yeah. our faith. We have got to do um, the work of developing emotionally healthy spirituality um, yeah. as leaders. Yeah. When you, when you coast, you coast apart or you coast to a standstill. You don't just coast in perpetual mm -hmm. positive motion. Yeah. You mentioned, I mean, so we've talked about the, just now this, this part of the, you said sex and the relational piece. Um, mm -hmm. What's, but you said there are two. There's two. <laughs> so, well, thanks so here for we coming go. back to that. I, um, I think the, other, I know, right. So here's the, the super vulnerable part. I think the, yeah. the other big danger for me is that um, because I perform in so many different capacities, you know, I, yeah. I do well, I hold space. I, you know, like the, that I am very, very vulnerable to people who truly see me, yes. see me for who I am, who care about you know. who I am as a person, um, who aren't just impressed by me or need me, but who really see me. Um, and that is actually pretty rare. Like in the years that I was doing college ministry, I would have a class of, you know, 50, 80, 100 students come through and they liked me and they appreciated me. But maybe only one or two in any given year would see me in the sense of saying, mm -hmm. how are you? You look tired mm -hmm. today. How are things with your kids? Like actually caring about me and my development as a person. And that being seen is like catnip to my soul. Yes. I, I feel like... <laughs> um, like a sunflower, you know, like my whole face will turn yes. towards the sun of someone yes. seeing me. And yeah. particularly in areas where I am tired and stressed, or maybe my marriage is in a space of not being particularly close or connected because I've been married for 20 years and this 
this happens, yeah. right? Yeah, and we coach, and I, like we I, said, and sometimes, yeah. We have times yeah. of coasting, and there are seasons when, you know, maybe I'm not as connected to my spouse, or I'm lonely, or I'm mad at him, or he's mad at me about something, or we're working through something with our kids, and I don't feel seen, and I am experiencing mm-hmm. a period of loneliness mm-hmm. in my marriage. In those seasons, to have someone, and particularly a guy, mm-hmm. then see me, but I think this happens with women too. I mean, where we could have emotional affairs with men or with women, but to have yep. somebody who sees me and says, how are you? And when, and I feel my heart doing the sunflower thing. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, this is the question I've been longing to be asked. And I feel tears welling up that I didn't feel permission to shed anywhere mm-hmm. else. That is super dangerous to me. On the one hand, like I want to realize that uh, my needs for emotional connection, my needs for friendship go beyond my marriage. I realize we need a multiplicity of relationships with men and with women and that I rely on that. I rely on my friendships to remain healthily married. But there's a point at which sometimes being particularly seen by one person when I'm in a vulnerable space feels like that's the place that I could get myself into trouble. Yeah. Well, me, that's, I mean, that's where, you know, we were talking, you know, off, off rec- uh, recording and um, yeah, same thing. Uh, you know, um, I've had a situation and, you know, my husband and I have un- unpacked this and where um, uh, I went to someone else and it was, it was not because of physical attraction. It was not, um, it wasn't any of that. It was somebody somebody saw me somebody cared in a vulnerable moment and somebody somebody saw me and asked asked a question and it you know it wasn't about even amount of time any uh, the things that i think we tend to typically think about you know and and it wasn't even the question the question and the questioner weren't wrong in that it it was a, it was the the combination of that. And, yeah. and like you said, the sunflower might, I, it, for me, it was like, um, there was this, this hole or a sponge that was just parched is the way it felt mm-hmm. to me. And it just went, <gasps> and expanded and went, I need that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that can be like, I think that there's, Let's speak in whole sentences, Bronwyn. That would be so helpful. Okay. I think that that can be the shape of how sexual affairs start as well. Like someone sees me as attractive. No one has found me attractive for such a long time. I haven't been flirted with in 10 or 20 or 30 years. And all of a sudden I feel like a woman again, or I feel. But it's it's back to being seen again. It's back to being seen, but there's a physical aspect of it, you know, that that could be the route that you go. You know, all I get at home is criticism. And now here's someone who thinks that I'm just fantastic. Yeah. Who has nothing but kind and encouraging and flattering and flirty things to say to me. You know, it's been a long time since someone said something that didn't have an edge to it. So I think that that being seen can work itself out out in a physical affair because we long to feel attractive to someone, emotionally, mentally, physically, you know, spiritually, however attractive to someone. Um, But it doesn't have to work itself out in, oh, I'm physically attracted to this person. It could just be the, oh, my goodness, no one has seen my good qualities for a really long time. And I am thirsty for that and that could include you know the the modern vernacular sense of oh he's thirsty as in you know (laughs) yeah yeah right chemistry attracted to someone but there's there's an emotional and a mental oh this person thinks I'm interesting to talk to and I live in a house of people who treat me like I'm boring or I'm just a record stuck on repeat how wonderful to be with someone who thinks I'm interesting or smart or funny or whatever the case may be and now in that situation when I feel that I think okay there's the potential of the gift of relationship here because I think God has given us a community, but that is where I need to guard my heart. Yeah. yeah. So I want to be careful about how much time I spend with that person, put some limits on it, the circumstances in which I do that. Are there other people around? And if I feel like something that's going to be dangerous, that's something I want to call accountability in on. Yeah. So I have yeah. had friendships and relationships where I have said to you know, a dear friend or a sister or a spiritual director, 
I had this conversation with so-and-so. It was so validating. Um, it was, it felt like just what I needed. And also I want to be careful here because it could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. The amount yeah. that I need that validation feels dangerous. And I didn't know how much I needed mm-hmm. it until I had it. So how can mm-hmm. I work through that and calling in yeah. other spiritual mentors and just saying, Hey, this feels, this feels mighty tempting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a relationship yeah. where the sun shines and I would like to stay there. Let's yeah. let's talk about how I steward that well, because again, that could be an area that I, I, I trip and stumble. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious what uh, um, your experience is with this. For me, part of it is it's that piece, the being seen, but there's a piece for me in when I've had um, a, um, a deficit or a, a perceived deficit of opportunities to live out my calling or to serve in meaningful ways that someone who gave me that opportunity or the, uh, the people I'm working with in that, that's another way of being seen, I think. Like, oh, somebody finally recognized I have something to give, even in my gifts and ministry and my leadership kind of thing. And Um, So that's another way that I have felt tempted um, or that that in my spirit, like, oh, oh, you know, I'm getting getting strokes from this somehow, you know, and like sitting in the sun. And so it almost is related in some ways to the power. Like I finally have a voice, you know, somebody's giving me a voice or giving me an opportunity Mm -hmm. to do something that I've been wanting, longing to do. And so it's tied Mm -hmm. to the the exercise of the leadership as well for me. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. That feels like a subcategory of, you know, the power influence conversation and of the relationship conversation. But I think that that's um, what that comes down to is an awareness in church that we are dealing with a community of people who all long to be seen and who long to be heard and who long to be useful. Yeah. Actually, people don't just want to be observers. We want to make a difference. We want to have belonged. and, that, and there's a difference to having to being wanting to be used and wanting to be useful. No one wants to be used, but everybody wants to be useful yeah, in some kind of way. And so in as much as we do have influence, in as much as we do have relational capacity, in as much as we do have resources, whether they, they be money or time, if we can be in the business of looking around and saying, who needs to be seen, who needs to be heard, and who needs a job to do? Because have, being useful is part of um growth right yeah. Uh, yeah we can look for opportunities to do that so i look for opportunities to do that in my home and i look for opportunities to do that in my church very practical example people come to my house i show them how to get water themselves from the fridge um i show them where the cups are i show them where the coffee is i give them an invitation this is a way you can make yourself at home here not because i don't want to give you water i do but I also know that it's not good for you and my dynamic if I'm always the host and you're always the receiver. Let me empower you to do something useful, like get yourself and the people around you a glass of water. Then we can sit and chat mm. and I'm going to ask you some questions to hear and see you. At a church level, I think it's a similar kind of thing. And I don't have to be in a position of formal leadership to do this, but everybody there is looking for a place to be useful. No. I don't just want to be a served spectator. They do want to be a significant servant in some kind of way. And if I can keep that at the forefront of my thinking, how are people being seen? How are they being heard? How do they want to be useful? I think we can offset a lot of the traps that fall into um, the dangers of being unseen, unheard, and invisible or feeling inconsequential. Yeah. Let's, um, I want to like flip um, so you're talking, uh, we talked about how important it, or how much we want to be seen and how deeply that just, mm-hmm. you know, um, reaches into us. Um, and you were just talking about wanting people want to be, feel seen and be seen and feel useful. So there's times where you and I will, in seeing someone, will, will awaken that same sunflower and and which um, if they don't deal with it in a healthy way, I mean, we can put back. So like some people would say, 
Well, the answer is to not have those types of conversations with people or, or not even to be in those environments. In that, but isn't that true? Like people say, you just stay away from those environments and you avoid the whole thing entirely. But then you're getting away from our deep need for relational connection, for true intimacy, you know, all that. So as if you're on, if you're the leader and you're seeing someone else, how do you keep it healthy, help them be healthy? So for me, I realized the being seen touched something some stuff that I had to do some work in counseling and spiritual direction and with trusted friends to realize um, a hole that that no one else could fill, you know, but even to be aware of that kind of thing. And so I don't have to be af uh, afraid in the same way of those types of even interactions. So did, does that make sense? Oh, it makes sense. Okay, so, so yeah, I wrote a book on that? about healthy yeah, relationships I, and I didn't between men and women in the church. <laughs> yeah. So by the way, Bron, Bronwyn wrote a book, and I love the title. It's called Beyond Awkward Side Hugs, Living as Christians, Christian Brothers and Sisters in a Sex-Crazed World. All right. Yeah, that's my book. Yeah. Um, little green, little green book, Beyond Awkward Side Hugs. It's <laughs> your green baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, really what I wanted to explore in that book is that things can get so weird and stuck between men and women in the church, largely because we're afraid of what will happen if it goes wrong. We yeah. wrap everybody up in caution tape because what if there's an affair? What if there's an abuse of power? What if there's a trust? And our default response, and we've done this particularly with youth, um, but we do it actually throughout the church, is to silo people and say, well, let's not even go there. And yeah. we have a fear-based uh, way of regulating then our social interactions. We put all of these policies and plans into place so that no one will to fall into temptation. Yeah, because it's not just what what um, uh, what if there is an affair. It is there will be. There's sometimes yes. an assumption in some circles that if you put them together, that's automatically going to happen. That's right. Oh, but yeah. you're right. The same response. Fear, bubble wrap, you know, just, yeah. Uh, yeah. The whole lot, bubble wrap and caution tape up yep. the wazoo. And it's particularly true, I think, in the American church. We're afraid mm. of the litigious, you know, shaming cancel yeah. culture, and that makes us extra, extra cautious. Mm. But fear is a very, very terrible way to um, develop ethics. You know, trying to develop ethics and trying to build community just by legislating against what could go wrong doesn't help us to get anything right. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like just putting up hazards and cones, you know, just to point out the pitfalls, but never giving people a map. And yeah, actually, so erring toward caution is still erring. <laughs> it's still erring, yes. And if we've learned anything from the scriptures, it's that the law doesn't stop sin. You can regulate up the wazoo, but the law has never yeah. had the power to deal with sin. Mm -hmm. So. Even if you legislate, even if you wrap everyone up in caution tape, sin is going to sin. That's what we do. We needed something yeah. more powerful than a better law. Um, we need the gospel. We need the gospel to show us a new and better way. And so what I wanted to explore in Beyond Awkward Side Hugs is that Scripture doesn't say, you know, well, you might sin, so don't do anything. It says, you know, here is the way that Jesus has integrated and uh, has instituted in the family of God. And what does it look like for us to live into that with wisdom? And so um, at a very practical level with um, relationships where I could be a sunflower towards someone, yeah. the framework that the gospel gives me is this person is my sister in Christ. This person mm -hmm. is my brother in Christ. We are going to be family in God for the rest of eternity if I think about that. <laughs> yeah. So what does it look like for me to express that well now? Mm -hmm. Whether I have a job here, whether I worship in this church or not, we are in relationship for the long haul because of our mutual connection to God the Father. So what does that look like? Um, because I, I want to be attached to this person. We're family, but I don't want it to go off the rails. And so understanding how much scripture calls us to live as the family we are and the family we're going to be is my big controlling framework. And that is such a different set of first principles uh, mm -hmm. from what might go wrong. Yeah. 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 Wow. 
Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm mindful of the time for us and for our listeners. What, like, keep giving me your wisdom. Other thoughts on this? As I mean, you, we, we had a month to kind of think about this since the last time we talked. And I said, hey, put yourself on my calendar for a podcast conversation. <laughs> so, um, I love the church. Yeah. I love the church. I mean, I think it's God's worst idea and also God's best idea. I mean, it's his best (laughs) idea because he just loves us. Like everyone gets to belong. Doesn't matter what our background is. He calls us his children. He invites us to be part of his family. It's the very best thing. And it's also the very worst thing because it means the church is made up of people like me. And I think, God, you have appalling taste. Like, you keep on picking you know fallen fallible finite and foolish people to be part of your church but i love this church because he loves its church and i he has not given us something that's too difficult to live in and even though there's all sorts of propensity to sin even though relationships are hard even though covenants fail because we you know all are vulnerable to failing because we are vulnerable to failing there's still some bigger better upward call that he is making possible in the church. Mm-hmm. And um, just like I'm not a perfect parent, right? But it's, and I'm going to make lots of mistakes, but it's still worth it to be a parent because I want to be good enough and love them well enough for them to grow up and live and have some joy, faults notwithstanding. I feel a similar, similar way about the church. You know, there might be times when I'm discouraged and where there's damage done, but this is the family project that God believes in. Mm-hmm. And and I can leave the church a better place than I found it. I can have, in the net sum of things, have been a healthy person who made a difference. Not a perfect person, but a healthy person who loved the people in front of me well, which is the most I can do in my immediate family. And it is enough in the family of God. Yeah. You know, forgetting what's behind. We press on because he will... He will make it work. Yeah. So we keep investing. Yeah. Amen. Preach. That's <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for, you know, being willing to put hit record on this conversation that we were having. And um, I just love hearing what's, what you're thinking and processing and, and learning and growing and uh, just a delight to be connected with you. So thank you. And I look forward to the next one um, offline or online. And, and whatever's going on, what, what is um, filling your soul in these days, in this season? The laughter of my children, because they mm. are hilarious, hilarious. Um, I have a couple of good friends that God has given me in the last two or three years. You know, it's funny how he gives us new people for each season. And for none sure. of these people even live in my state. But we found a way in these days of That's Zoom awesome. and uh, Marco Polo to stay connection. And that just gives me a lot of joy. And, and there's some safety, right? Because they're not embroiled in the yeah. day-to-day nitty-gritty. Yeah. Um, and I am cleaning my house. Oh, and that I brings joy to Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and every now and then I send my, text my husband a picture of, look, you can see the actual shelves. Ah. And that's the <laughs> Does it bring him the same amount of joy or is he just think, like, uh, thank you? Yeah. I think he's happy that I'm happy, which is almost yeah. the same. Right, right. You'll take it. Right, right. Yeah. That sounds great. Wow. Well, thanks so much for this conversation. I look forward to the next time. Thanks for having me.